Hello, everybody. This is Gabor from Gabor Speaks, and I have a great pleasure to introduce the first guest of the podcast of Gabor Speaks that is no other than Mihai Sabo. Hi, Mihai. Hi, Gabor. It's a great pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a great honor to be your first guest in this new podcast. <laughs> Thank thanks for the invitation. Much. Thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine, and um, I really hope that uh, you are ready. To, to be the first guest, and I'm really sure that uh, that you can bring a lot to, to this podcast because we had a lot of conversations before, and uh, for the ones that uh, don't know Mihai, well, I guess there are a lot of people who don't know Mihai yet, but that's soon going to change after this podcast for sure, but the point is that we used to be classmates, and uh, I saw Mihai as um, like one of the guys who... Uh, well, how to say that's not to be too rude. Well, I, I didn't think that uh, that he's going to go so far. And uh, when I met him and I got to know that he is actually a diplomat and he has so much, so many opportunities in the world, travel the whole world, I was really surprised and also humbled in a way, like how far he has gotten. And this is uh, what I want to ask you, Mihai, like what, um, what is it uh, that you have done? How is, what is your secret so that you have achieved uh, such a great position? And please introduce yourself in a couple of sentences in general. Thanks for the introduction, Gabor. Well, I don't really have any secrets, I have to say. So, of course, uh, you need a lot of luck all, all of the time to be in the right place in the right time. Uh, but uh, apart from that, of course, you always have to look after the opportunities. What can I say? So I studied international relations, uh, firstly, in Hungary at the Sichuan University in Dürer. Then later, I studied Southeast European studies at the University of Graz in Austria. And uh, also, I participated in many exchange programs in other universities like in the Charles University in Prague and then the Comenius in Bratislava, the University of Ljubljana in Slovenia. Well, right now I'm working as an action consultant uh, for different international organizations, mainly for the European Action, action Service, uh, but also for the National Democratic Institute and the International Republican Institute in the United States. I work also for several think tanks and NGOs as a youth policy expert. Right now, I'm a policy advisor of the Chatham House and also I work for the United Europe, which is a German NGO based in Hamburg, but basically it's a continental organization. So we have member organizations in Russia, in Azerbaijan, in all around Europe. Sounds really nice. And as a person, what should we know about you? Because it's all really nice what you have done, but uh, this is what I asked you also in the chat. What is it that makes you a human being? What, what could you say? Well, I really like traveling, but not only uh, about my job or and for work, but also in my free time. And I do like the different coffee houses, as you can see. I'm, even right now, I'm in a coffee house, so I drink coffee. And I like to discover a, a new dessert and uh, drinks and, you know, all kinds of culinary stuff in all of the countries and uh, well apart from that i like reading of course basically i like all genres but my favorite is the science fiction i like especially the classic science fiction like uh, asimov or arthur c Clarke, and uh, 
the similar authors, but also like the modern science fiction or like Star Wars or whatever, <laughs> you know, Star Trek. <clears throat> These are also fine. Um, those like the classic literature. Yeah, I think basically uh, that's all right now. I really like the sports. I am playing tennis, squash. I like to watch all, uh, all kinds of sports in the TV or even in li real life. I'm not, not really sure that uh, what else is really interesting in me. Regarding <laughs> 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 this, uh, so I'm not really doing extreme sports as I, I told you or something. So I don't really have any very extreme hobbies or something. I just, uh, yeah. I well, like to the, be honest, uh, uh, diplomacy sounds quite extreme in a sense that, you know, like everybody sees a lot of movies, right? And uh, we also have this picture of a diplomat that is uh, really polite, that is actually having an agenda all the time and also trying to have some conspiracies with other people. And this is maybe something that, uh, that is in our minds when we are talk thinking and talking about diplomats. And what uh, I'm curious about uh, is what, what is reality? So how does it look like in reality? Like, of course, I think if you are plotting for world domination, you are not going to tell me that, but maybe you can tell me a couple of insights. What is it to be like a diplomat and how is life as a diplomat? Well, <clears throat> so uh, of course in the movies and uh, uh, this whole world is a little bit exaggerated. So it's not like uh, uh, in the movies or in the books. Uh, it's true that um, actually when there is an official diplomatic event, then it looks like um, a lot like a scene. So like, uh, as you mentioned, like it would have been organized as a plot and uh, everybody have some kind of role in this uh, plot, you know. So what, what's happening and what, what the people are talking about, a lot of times they don't really reflect the reality. So they have to say certain things, you know, because they have to say certain things. So it's not really like they uh, want to tell these things, but uh, th there are always um, uh, some kind of political correctness with these events, the, the official events are going. But actually what is really important, so in most of these uh, events, not really the, the main thing is the official event, but much more the coffee breaks, you know, and after the event, when you can talk to the people directly. Then uh, basically the real discussions and uh, the main things are happening when which really could um, so, so basically we can say the real work is starting usually after the official events or in the coffee breaks or before the official events. And when you can talk to all of the actors without any audience. So the, because there, you know, when, uh, during an official panel speaks or what you can watch in a conference or in a forum or in a summit, then a lot of times they are recorded. And that's why everybody is a bit more cautious you know, what they are saying. Mm -hmm. or what they are not saying <laughs> in a given situation. Like what, what, what do you mean by real work? Because you mentioned all the protocols and you mentioned the scene and this is only there for display. So why is the display that necessary? And what do you mean by real work? Well, uh, so the, the, the main thing that um, when you can read about some big forum with politicians and you know with uh, uh, important people who uh, are gathering in some place 
and uh, are signing some documents and papers. Basically, uh, that's a kind of uh, political PR. So it's uh, important because um, they raise awareness, you know, about a certain agenda or certain documents by this act. But uh, of course, uh, they are not uh, aware of this document or they are not really creating the given policies at the scene. So uh, there is a work, you know, before that and after that, because uh, a lot of times when they just sign these papers, then the implementation is still not really fixed or, you know, a lot of time it's just a kind of symbolic uh, paper, a symbolic document, and it just means a kind of milestone, what they are uh, going to build up some kind of long-term plan. And uh, that's why I told that basically the real work uh, starts, you know, before that, uh, after that, because uh, what, basically what the diplomatic event is just a kind of uh, celebration in a way that they reach a certain milestone and they are preparing for the later work mm -hmm. by this. So that, that's why talking that uh, in these given events, uh, the real work is very minimal because everything is fixed before that or just going to be fixed later. Yeah. Okay, so like if, if I understand uh, this diplomatic work, then you need to be kind of an expert in everything or maybe like a little expert. And how, how do you achieve that? Or, or do you feel that you can have a say in whatever question comes up regarding what's happening in the world? Uh, really depends on uh, what kind of events are you working on and what kind of uh, field are you focusing. So the, the diplomacy is very, very broad. I've worked uh, previously uh, mainly as a youth policy expert and I worked in the field of the youth policy. So um, of course you have to know a lot of things because uh, as I mentioned during the coffee breaks and uh, after the event, when you have direct uh, discussion with uh, certain actors and politicians, then a lot of topics could come up. You know, even a lot of things what is not really connecting to the uh, to your work or to the given event. That's another thing what you have to know to participate in these events because usually uh, when um, there are certain workshops within the international organizations that uh, very much uh, focus to the given topics. So then uh, basically if you, um, yeah, of course in an idle case, you already give some preparation material and you can't really face off with any very unexpected topic or any unexpected question during the event. And when uh, there could be you know, audience and there could be some uh, recording uh, of the event then you can't really face up any, any problem in this way. But uh, uh, offside of, of the event, when uh, you are just uh, talking informally with the politicians and with the other participants, then could uh, come up a lot of topics. So then you must have to be very well prepared in a broad field of topics. Mm -hmm. uh, do you also prepare from the person? So like, I don't know if you meet, for example, an ambassador from Egypt, maybe you talk to him differently than to an ambassador from Germany. And maybe even if like they have a different cultural background, their personal interests are different. So just to convince them to assume your points, 
maybe you have different strategies based on the person. Is that so, or or is is it not that important? It really, really depends on again. So if uh, you know that you are going to interact with a certain person and you have opportunity to prepare, then I don't say that you have to know the whole biography of the human person, but yeah, it could be useful if you know uh, at least uh, some background information, some background information about him, like, um, you know, like his work or maybe uh, what he likes or what kind of uh, interest he has in certain topics that could be useful. And of course, in this uh, given situation, it could help to initiate uh, a fruitful discussion with you. Uh -huh. So, uh, but of course, a lot of times it's difficult because uh, uh, usually um, it could happen that you uh, won't be sure that you are going to meet with this person or that person because th there could be a, a lot of important figures in the audience or even you know outside of the panelists so if you don't know the full guest list then of course very difficult to prepare for any like this okay so maybe that was also a concept from the movies that you know like you prepare perfectly from from one diplomat and then you convince him by buying him a prostitute or a hooker or whatever. <laughs> oh, frankly speaking, uh, maybe in the very highest level, it could be also possible. But uh, of course, then you need a very huge support from the state or from other actors as well. So uh, if you have some really very huge importance or interest to uh, approach some person like this, then it's possible. But of course, then uh, you need a background check and everything. So you need a lot of information, what actually you can really find, you know, in the public libraries. So of course, it, it happens. Yeah, as, as you could see, like you know, the propaganda, everything, the post-Soviet states, it's possible. But it's going uh, to work usually with a, a very serious background check. Fair enough. So yeah, I also want to talk about in the remaining uh, one hour about um, about concrete issues around the world. And I want to ask uh, first your opinion that uh, there are, of course, uh, popular topics that are in the media. You can mention a lot. But what, what do you think that is uh, the most important from the topics that are mentioned or maybe from the topics that are not mentioned? So what, what is it that uh, you think the world should focus on at the moment? Well, right now, I feel a huge problem that um, you can read in the media everywhere about the coronavirus and the pandemic, because of course it's an inter important thing about uh, you know, the, the world not really disappeared. Just uh, they don't get enough focus in the media. So the media doesn't highlight anymore a lot of very important problems all around the globe because uh, the pandemic just uh, simply has uh, too much weight in the public speech. Everybody's speaking about this, you know, not, not just the politicians, but also the daily people everywhere, because of course it had a huge impact uh, of the life to everyone. But still, there are very, very serious other problems, what we don't talk about at all. And uh, I think it's a very, very huge problem. I'm not sure that now the uh, pandemic and the wall uh, restrictions and lockdowns started to easy Europe. So hopefully it's going to be better now this year or in the end of this, this year, but it's not sure. I, I still can't really see 
that even with the ease of the restrictions that anything would change. So even now, if you check, you know, the mainstream media is still everything about the pandemic, even though in the UK or in many European countries, there are no lockdowns anymore. And still, this is the topic, you know, what's, what's happening in India related to the virus and, you know, in China, whatever. So, okay. So I do want to, to talk about the coronavirus, but then I, I want to ask you first. So if, if not the coronavirus, then what are the topics or what is the topic that we should really talk about at the moment? What do you think? Well, if we are talking about the, the forthcoming challenges, then of course, related to the coronavirus partly, there are also an economic crisis, what we should need to face off. And um, the problem with, I think in the near future, what we're facing off and uh, what, and it is actually accelerated by the coronavirus a lot, is the automatization and, and the robotization. So basically the uh, unemployment rate and, you know, all, all kinds of problems which relate to the unemployment. So like, no, so social can, tensions. Can and, you give us uh, some yeah. numbers? Like, why why is it uh, so grave this problem? Why, what what uh, what are the numbers more more or less? I the, the numbers it really depends on the country. So uh, what is interesting that um, basically uh, this uh, has a, a bigger effect right now in the developed countries at the moment because um, the, basically the, the classic industrial labor. It seems that it's going to disappear and it's going to be fully you know, uh, auto automatic in the near future uh, by robots. So for example, in the automotive industry, uh, the, it's, it's going to happen very, very uh, quickly and it's going to cause a lot of problems in you know, many, many countries and in many fields. So basically we will have a mass of people what we can't really uh, put to anywhere for a while, if we won't prepare for this. We should need to prepare for this challenge because in nowadays it's not so easy, you know, to uh, retrain these people or just uh, to send them again to the school or, you know, to uh, study some new uh, job or any like this or new skills. It's, there's a reskilling or how I say is very, very complicated nowadays. It's uh, not possible to do it, you know, within, uh, I don't know, a few months or something or not, not even a few years. A lot of times and i don't really see that any of the states would really prepare for this mm -hmm. uh, the usual argument against what you say is that uh, we have experienced this before that a lot of people lost their livelihood for example during the industrial revolutions and uh, they could always um, go into a different field like for example when, when yeah i read these arguments as well uh, everywhere and uh, of course, that part is true of this argument that the automatization is going to create new jobs as well. And uh, there will be a lot of new jobs what we never had before. So like in the uh, AI the technology or you know, you know, the automatization and the robotic development, of course, there will be new jobs. But the problem is that, the, as I told before, like the reskilling and the uh, current skills of the, of the people are not really fit to these new jobs. So what you mentioned, that was possible. So when we had an agricultural society and we had uh, people who made some kind of manual labor, you know, in the field, 
then these people could go to the factory and keep going to do the manual labor just you know within the factory so not, not in the field but now you know it, um, it's it's uh, completely different so even after the industrial revolution in nowadays in the modern countries it was still possible to uh, rescue and retrain the people uh, from the factories and send them to the walmart you know and they could be a cashier or something but uh, from, uh, from a Walmart cashier, you can't really train easily. You know, an AI specialist. So it's not like <laughs> that. The, the Walmart cashier is, is, is going to do, you know, to the Google or something, and going to uh, develop. I don't know, like uh, automatic defense systems or whatever. So it's uh, it, it's not like this. So it's completely different. And and that's what a lot, lot of people are mistaken. Also, the, the, the politicians and decision makers. And that's why we can see that uh, anything would happen. Of course, uh, um, yeah, the, in the universities and you know some of these companies are preparing at some level, but it's not enough. So this is a very important topic where actually uh, the state should need to get involved and uh, need to prepare for this scenario, because uh, we are talking about a lot of people. So it's uh, absolutely a you know a, that that kind of problem which uh, has a, a serious impact in the world society in many ways. Can, can you give an estimation how many people we are talking about worldwide? You know, it's, it's really very difficult. I don't give you a, a specific figure in this because uh, nobody knows right now how many people are we talking about. So there are certain fields when this process will be very, very quick. Uh, for example, like uh, in what we're talking about, like in the logistic sector, for example, you know, with the, um, the automatic vehicles, for example, and uh, the you know robotic cars these are already reality just uh, they are still not really uh, visible in the, on, the, on the streets because we have policy problems so it's very very difficult right now to uh, create the right legal background you know that uh, for example if a, a self-driven car is you know going to hit someone then who will be responsible for that you know the producer of the car or the, the car manufacturer or you know the people who owns that car etc so this kind of things are missing but it's not happening about the lack of the technology so we have the technology already just it's still not widespread in the, the streets so in this field it's going to happen uh, relatively quickly if we will have the right background in other sectors maybe it will be slower for example but it's going to reach uh, many many people so in, in the United States, um, for example, there could be, you know, more than 30 percentage of the people could be uh, uh, affected within a decade. That means that uh, 30 percent of the American workforce is going to be unemployed? Yeah, it could happen. For what is interesting, that, and it's not just in the case of the classic, you know, blue collar uh, blue car sector uh, is impacted. So what what is uh, happening already also like uh, investment banks and you know a lot of white collar work is also in danger by this. For example, like in the case of the risk management and you know this kind of uh, things, what is basically uh, needs uh, calculation in many companies already is using you know AI technology for that. So they don't use any more people for that, but you know they have the right uh, um, AI software for and uh, they. Are, uh, they won't need any more to hire people for these positions, so it's fully automatic. Wow. So the, the security company, the insurance companies, you know, for example, they are also 
also use this kind of software. So uh, you just need some kind of analysis. You know, a lot of times it's much more easier to arrange by the AI than uh, human workforce with my labor. Wow, that's a bit scary. It could be so even I, higher. I, so the, 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 at this point, uh, nobody knows how many people are going to be uh, affected because uh, there are a lot of calculations that actually, you know, within uh, 30 years, it could be even much higher. And uh, nobody really could uh, expect, you know, uh, what kind of jobs will be uh, impacted by this. Because uh, I read a lot of analysis that, you know, even in the healthcare system, you know, they won't need any more uh, human labor uh, after a certain point. So even now we have, you know, artificial intelligence uh, in the uh, case of that surgery, which helps for the human doctors. But uh, later, you know, maybe th there could be fully automatic and the whole surgery could be made by a robot. So who knows? Yeah, if, if I understand what you're saying is that blue, blue coral workers can be replaced and uh, white collar workers can be replaced. That means everybody can be replaced. And from what you say, probably pretty soon. Now, that's, that sounds like a scary scenario. Uh, let's see this scenario then. And I want to play the, the devil's advocate here because I am quite pessimistic in, on this field. But now I pretend to be optimistic, saying that uh, this is going to be the scenario that we are not going to really have jobs. But this is going to be fantastic because uh, robots are going to produce whatever we need. Let it be physical products or services. So that means that we are just going to get money from, from the states and then we can just buy whatever we need because money will not make uh, sense any, anymore anyway because there is going to be an abundance of goods and services because of the cheap labor. So the world is going to be fantastic, right? I am not so optimistic <laughs> regarding this. So uh, the, 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 the problem is that uh, I think this transition will be very, very challenging. So uh, the, it's one thing that uh, apparently, as I told, nobody really uh, is preparing for the scenario. So it seems like the states and you know, also the companies and uh, uh, many, many actors uh, try to postpone this world transition for a very long time. Uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, like the, in the case of the uh, self-driven cars, uh, basically uh, we have the technology, but still it's not implemented about certain legal regulations. And it's also true uh, in the case of the uh, automati automatization in the factories. A lot of times it's uh, not happening about uh, about dimension problems, what you just told. So basically, the, uh, it could be possible, you know, to uh, create uh, fully automatic uh, factories in many, many industries already. But right now, the, the, simply the states can't handle that mass of unemployed people which could go out from these factories. And about this, simply we sustain, you know, the manual labor and the uh people in the factories but uh it it, it's, it won't be sustainable after a while about many many reasons uh but what's going to happen after this if it's going to happen that's a very good question so the the, the problem is that i don't really believe that the money is going to disappear just like this it could be a scenario what you told but um rather unrealistic right now unfortunately mm -hmm. If I'm naive and I'm saying that 
and look at uh, the whole sum of the money produced in this world today. And I'm not talking about money printing, right? I'm just uh, talking about the production of money by selling stuff. It seems to be like a huge amount to me. So that uh, if I'm naive, then I can think that if everybody gets a fair share, well, let's not say fair share, but maybe a good share of this money so that you can buy everything that you need, it's already seems to be possible. So why is it uh, not happening at the moment? And if it could happen, would it be a good system? It could be a good system, maybe, just, but it uh, again uh, depends on the implementation. Uh, that, that's that's the huge question. So the problem right now that uh, in many industries the uh, people are complaining and they uh, are claiming that the you know the employees have been exploited, you know, by the the uh, multinational companies, and you know they just uh, basically use the cheap labor to. Uh, gain profit, but uh, if it's this automatization is going to happen and the AI will have a bigger role, you know, in the uh, in the life of the companies, and uh, if it's going to replace uh, the human labor, then basically we will have a lot of people who won't really be useful for the state or for the society from this aspect. So it's, that's a question that, you know, uh, how we're going to handle the situation, because, yeah, that could be a solution, what you told, like if the state would create a, 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 some kind of protective system for these people and uh, somehow to uh, provide incentives for these people to uh, find, you know, a new useful productive activity, then I think it could be very good. And, it, it could work in this way that the state would uh, provide the money for these people and, you know, and they could uh, uh, work on some, I don't know, creative business or whatever they want. So it, it, it could be actually very good from that aspect that the people wouldn't really need to do uh, any work which is absolutely meaningless for nowadays and what the robots could do much more effectively instead of the human labor. But it's still a huge question is going to happen or not, because a lot of people uh, can't really see uh, this from this aspect and much more uh, they uh, stick to the current you know, status quo. And they uh, already say that uh, those people who are going to get some money from the state and then um, these people are not going to do any useful thing anymore and they are not really uh, have any incentive to work or to create something but I want to say I don't really see, think that uh, it's true because even in nowadays so if you really don't want to do anything then you won't really do anything you know maybe you will be uh, in some kind of workplace yes uh, but uh, you know that are you going to do your work effectively and you know in a and with right manner that's very questionable so if you are not motivated at all and you know you just have to do some kind of uh, forced labor basically uh-huh and uh, on the other hand it's uh, it doesn't really seem to be forced in a sense that there are like at least uh, in in the oecd countries no slave labor so that's uh, maybe you hate your job but you still get pay, paid pretty well and it allows you to live a really great life 
so that you're not going to starve to death and you will, you will have money to travel around, etc. So that's, that's what I mean by, by pretty good life. But if you lose your job, then what will actually give meaning to your life? This is, this is the number one question that I have. Because even if, uh, like my example was that uh, when, when I worked in a corporate job as a corporate recruiter, I was pretty much the same, that, uh, that I was watching YouTube videos and uh, chatting with my colleagues, etc. So maybe I used 10% of my time to work. And yet, if I just, uh, when, when I lost this job, I was uh, first happy for a while. And then after that, quite devastated, saying that, oh my God, what the fuck I'm going to do now? So that's, that's if, if it's just me, then the world will not really have much problem with that. But if it's going to be billions of people with the same problem, then what, what, what is going to happen? Exactly. That's why the state should need to prepare for this scenario. So what you told that uh, it was not only uh, your case and not only you know your job. It's uh, very very frequently happens, uh, even in the case of the uh, white collar jobs and you know in the office jobs that actually the uh, people are just uh, maybe doing some real work only percentage or 20 percentage of their time so and but it's another question that i told like uh, in the case of the blue collar worker it's uh, you know it's not, not even the, there are also of course the uncomparable difference between the uh, automatic work and the human labor but uh, in the case of the automatization process the, the human labor will be absolutely wasteless in the, this, this category so there won't even be a question that you know that we need to hire the people who are doing maybe you know 40 50 percentage uh, of, of the uh, job of this automatic system because simply we won't need any more at all any human labor in that, that field because there will be a fully automatic system which is going to provide that kind of efficiency what the humans are not able to provide even if they are trying their best so okay. the, uh, that's that's a major difference and uh, yeah and uh, simply uh, the state uh, will need to decide that you know that uh, are they uh, going to get some kind of uh, social benefit or whatever they uh, you know the state is going to provide some kind of safety net for these people or at least the state is going to prepare for the transition and is going to uh, start a huge educational reform and you know trying to uh, provide uh, new skills for these people in the future and uh, then we maybe can keep up the current system but uh, honestly i don't believe in this so as we discussed earlier uh, there are too many industries which is going to be affected by the these new technologies and it's uh, rather unrealistic to expect that all of these people are going to be rescued or retrained or whatever in the future so it's, uh, it will be a very huge uh, decrease of the jobs in in long term that's almost sure so we will have yeah a lot of new jobs but it's still a lot of uh, industries and a lot of jobs what we uh, know in nowadays are going to disappear fully as i told like in, in the industrial sector and most of the blue collar jobs is most likely going to uh, die out after this uh, technical transition so what do you think is realistic what is going to happen to these people 
I wish I could tell you this. I have no idea what's going to happen with these people right now. As I told, it's, it's the biggest problem that we are not really talking about this at all. So yeah, there are some discussions, you know, that the, the automatization and the AI and yeah, there are some panel discussions about this topic, but uh, I don't really see that anything would really happen in the field. So I don't really see that the politicians or anybody would really take this very seriously. Uh, and they can't really uh, feel this as much big problem as it is. Yeah, because they think they, they will have a job anyway, or they steal enough money to live for the rest of their lives. If I want to be cynical. No, honestly, I, I don't think I, uh, I have the feeling that most of the people think that it's going to happen after a very long time. So, you know, everybody uh, think that uh, it's not going to happen, you know, after five years or 10 years, but just, I don't know after 50 years or 60 years and you know they just don't care about this because they think that you know it, it has a huge lifespan and uh, they won't be affected or uh, you know maybe they uh, they just don't think that uh, they it's going to be uh, have an impact to their job directly hmm. this scenario is is quite sad because if this is the case that that means that people don't really give a shit about their children right like what they are going uh, exactly to do. Well, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of the biggest problems, again, uh, not just regarding this, but just in general, the education system uh, is uh, also not really preparing for this. So, like, uh, uh, yeah, there are some progressive major in the universities, you know, like the, the, what I mentioned earlier, there's new AI majors and, you know, the IT is definitely is, uh, developing and it's very prosperous and popular. But apart from that, we still have the same orthodox university system in um, all of the countries, basically, what is not really helping the, this transition, what's coming in the next few years, probably. In, for example, in the United States, maybe it's useless, but at least it's super expensive. <laughs> then keeps people well, in debt, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a problem there that... Uh, <laughs> It doesn't really matter that is it useful or useless. It's expensive in all ways. So yeah, yeah, but it's. I mean, I think it matters if you pay shit tons of money for something. You actually want to benefit from it. I think that's yeah, definitely uh, that's the logic behind. Definitely, but, but uh, so just I wanted to say that uh, what you mentioned earlier, the parents doesn't really uh, care about the future of their children. I think the problem is that uh, most of the people are expecting too much from the state regarding this. So they, they think that, uh, you know, the state is uh, uh, providing the right education for their children. And if they send uh, the children to the university, you know, they made everything what they could for their, the future of their children. And that's it. So that, you know, most of the people don't really want to think more about this whole topic and this whole issue. And also a lot of people don't really see the problems around the education system and universities because they put too much trust in the state and they think that you know the states are going to you know uh, take care about the education system but unfortunately they put a lot of trust into the states and they uh, suppose the states are going to provide the right education for the children but the states don't unfortunately don't really uh, care about the educational reforms and uh, the education system what we have is uh, simply not sufficient for this forthcoming 
uh, technological transition. Mm -hmm. I share your concerns and I also want to refer back to, to what you said before about uh, what uh, to do with a lot of uh, people, a huge amount of uh, or a huge portion of the population that is going to be unemployed. Now, there is a lot of wishful thinking around this area. That's what I see is that once the environment like our surroundings is going to be different, then we will handle problems differently. I think that's the basis of all the wishful thinking. And what reality is that how we deal with problems now, we will deal with problems in a different environments too. So we are not really going to change just because the environment around us is going to change. So what I'm essentially saying is that whatever we don't need in this world, we just throw away. And I think this is going to happen with people that cannot work. We are just going to be thrown away. Now, some people are talking about uh, like uh, slow genocides and uh, you know population control, etc. But what we see, what is already reality, that for example, in the United States, they don't give the slightest shit about homeless people, for example, veterans, etc. So the people who they don't need, they just release on the society and they just kind of hope that they die as fast as possible. That's, uh, that's what is happening now. That's what, that's what I see. But maybe your, your views are different. What's, what, what do you think? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, I fully agree with you in this. So I have the same fear. And uh, that's what uh, I was uh, trying to refer to, that uh, what I see in the what is this technological transition is going to accelerate this process a lot. And um, that's the biggest problem with this uh, wall transition. That actually, uh, what we talked earlier, like in the case of the uh, transition from the agricultural society to the industrial society, the people still have some leverage because it was still manual labor. You know, they just uh, basically changed the industrial sector, but still they were important and they were the essential workforce in the both of the mm. uh, in both system. But now the people will won't have any leverage anymore because exactly the people will be you know the abundance and the, what uh, the system won't really need anymore. So what you told that uh, it's um, it's absolutely realistic, unfortunately, that uh, if the people uh, won't have any leverage anymore, then maybe the system is just going to you know throw out a lot of people, and it's going to cause of course social tension and uh, you know a lot of problems in many many ways. But how the states are going to handle this? That's still a huge question, and because. Uh, uh, states would like to incorporate, you know, these people uh, in any other society. Uh, th this is my fear as well, that, you know, th these people are just going to throw out and, you know, they are going to be abandoned and they can do what they want to do without any help. And this will be a, a very, very dangerous uh, situation. Yeah, th these are my fears as well. And uh, actually another thing came into my mind when you said it's, uh, it's about population control because you can check it on, on the internet, on YouTube. For example, Bill Gates is talking about uh, some sort of population control that uh, I, I think uh, what he, he said 
as far as I remember, is that uh, the number one problem for the developing countries, so like Africa, Asia, etc., is that uh, they are overpopulating now. Like the the population growth is just uh, too much for us to handle. So that he yeah, but it's it's not honestly it's not true. It's absolutely not true. So uh, actually, it's also interesting true? problem that he said I it mean, or. <laughs> he, he, that's true that he said it, but I mean, this problem is not true. It's okay. not a problem at all. So uh, um, just uh, one thing, uh, for example, a lot of people are worried uh, about the overpopulation because, you know, uh, many, many people and populist politicians say that we won't have enough food and, you know, we are going to waste the planet and whatever, you know, this is a typical uh, argument in this topic, but actually, uh, you know, with the modern agricultural technology, and uh, uh, we don't have this problem anymore. So basically, the, the, that's why we, the agricultural sector is uh, disappeared in many, many countries, or just very marginal regarding the workforce, because in the agricultural sector already happened a huge automatization in the United States, for example, and in this way, we uh, are able to get uh, to make much more food than before so it's much more efficient than before and we are able to um, to get uh, much more crops for example uh, in the same area uh, than you know 50 years ago or something so basically we are able to feed much more people you know than 100 years ago so maybe uh, earlier without the, techni the technological development this could be an issue but it's not an issue anymore so it's uh, not a huge problem the other thing that um yeah what bill gates referred to that uh, uh, actually there are only very few countries when this overpopulation thing is even just realistic so we can we need to see that uh, in the modern societies and in the developed countries the population is decreasing actually so and also it's a, a the, uh, basically in all of the countries or in the best case you know it's just stagnating in some level but um, uh, in africa and um, maybe in few southeast asian countries uh, are some population incre increasement but in many of these African countries where it seems to be a problem, it's actually not really a problem because the population in overall compared to the size of the country is still very small. And then other question that, you know, the uh, expected, uh, you know, the expected lifespan of the people in many of these countries are much lower than in the developing countries. So it could happen that uh, also in Africa and in Southeast Asia, these countries are going to be more developed, then it's going to change a lot. And, uh, you know, there, it won't be any very drastic uh, population, population increase anymore, as we could witness in nowadays. So why, why did Bill Gates say that population control is, is needed? Honestly, I have no idea what was the motive of Bill Gates to uh, claim these kind of uh, things. Yeah, th th there are a lot of conspiracy theory around this, you know, that oh, what, what was uh, the reason of, to, because Bill Gates is, you know, uh, interested and also in the uh, in the medicines and the healthcare sector, Bill Gates is the biggest uh, landowner of the United States. So it's also very interested, you know, in the in the farming and in the food sector. So he is interested in a lot of things. Uh, and uh, maybe you know about the the vaccination programs, or you know, I, I have no idea that uh, maybe about the, the birth control. Um, 
the birth control uh, pills or something could be, you know, his business interest. He could make some extra profit from this policy. But frankly speaking, I really have no idea. Yeah, I uh, didn't really hear this. Really almost every week, somebody talking about you know the population control and these problems. But you know what? I I, I did uh, read about this in the news, so I, I'm not sure that maybe I just missed something. But I think it's not really a popular topic anymore, especially since we have this pandemic issue and a lot of people died in many countries. I think it's uh, not, not uh, as much focused as earlier. Of course, in the, in the United States, it was, it was it was still a popular topic about the illegal migration, you know, and the, the and this anti-migration poli uh, policy. So, that, but uh, even in the United States, if we see, we can't really talk about overpopulation or anything like this. So, if, if you check, you know, that how big is the United States, you know, and uh, there are certain states, of course, which are very populous, but, you know, there are almost empty states in the middle of the country. The problem is that also the distribution the of the population. States. Yeah. It's, and, and they are very, they, yeah, exactly. So, they are very focused in certain areas and those are going to be uninhabitable in a way, but actually the rest of the country a lot of times is empty. So it's it's a very uh, frequent problem in many countries, in developing countries as well, also in developed countries. Mm -hmm. I understand. But the reason is um, for a lot of conspiracy theories, well, first is that people don't really know what, uh, what the fuck is going on. And uh, I think the second thing is that there is a low level of trust. So that seems to me that uh, there is the, the elite, the political elite, the social elite, and they don't, um, they don't really care about uh, the people who don't belong to the elite. And they openly and purposefully manipulate the, let's say the, the poor majority, or at least the majority that is poorer to them. So this is something that is causing a lot of problems in the world. And I'm sure that they have an agenda because they like in, in each and every political party and political interest group has an agenda that wants to see in the world. So I think that's not really a question of a conspiracy theory. Agenda, agendas exist. But I think what is really bad for us is that we are just uh, unnecessary pawns in these agendas and we, are, we, we don't really have a saying in what is happening in our lives. And what is, what is another problem is that we don't even seem to care about it. Like it maybe irritates us, but what you also said that we want to believe that the state is going to help us the state is going to manufacture or create things that we need, and we are not really going to have any problems in the world. So I think this is this is what is happening now in in vague uh, in a vague theory, and this is something that uh, that I'm quite afraid of because it doesn't really give a really bright future. Yeah, it's absolutely true, and it's a problem, especially in the developed states, because, you know, we have uh, uh, some kind of um, expectancy towards the state, because, you know, we are paying taxes, you know, and therefore we are expecting from the state certain things that, you know, uh, that states are supposed to provide some kind of safety net, you know, education, uh, health care, whatever. Uh, in the case of developing countries, we don't have this problem, because 
people have very low trust because in nowadays we are living in the age of the fake news, you know, and the people a lot of times are not able to really um, recognize which news are true, which news are not true, and they don't really have capacity either, you know, to do uh, a fact check, you know, and look after the source of the information and these kind of things. So a lot of people are getting uh, news from the social media, uh, from the friends, and you know, from uh, in a uh, specific informal way. And in this way, of course, the spread the fake news spread much easier, and it's going to damage the public trust just in general. It's just uh, going to be worse in this way. So uh, also, as you mentioned, the people came, you know, um, tired from this, and they don't care anymore. And they just accept this as, you know, that life is going in this way and we can't do anything. Well, it's not true because actually we are still in the moment when we still can do something. And uh, because as uh, we discussed earlier, that uh, the people still have some leverage, but maybe it could happen that after 20, 30 years, the people don't have any leverage anymore because, you know, we will have enough robots and the developed AI technology then uh, for the elites won't really need any manual labor and any cheap workforce. So that, that, that could be a rather frightening scenario when we are going to reach that level. And that's why we still should need to do something in nowadays and to take care about these problems. So what, what, what is it that we can do? So uh, first of all, I think uh, we should need to uh, highlight these problems. So uh, that's the, uh, the first step towards the solution that we're starting to talk about the problem and we realize you know, the, the issues. Uh, because um, what uh, I can see now, that most of the people are not even aware of these problems at all. So if the people are not aware of the problem, they won't care of the problem, they don't even try to find any solution for the problem. So the, the most important step is this. And after that, you know, all, uh, the decision makers also should need to realize this issue and start to prepare the right policies which are going to help this transition and uh, which are going to provide, you know, some kind of uh, a solution for the mass unemployment and reskilling and what we talked about earlier. I have a, a genuinely naive question because I'm not trying to play anything right now, no devil's advocate, nothing. But uh, but I want to ask is that, do, do you see anybody around you that really cares? That uh, like some, somebody that is in a leadership position that actually wants to, like of course wants uh, good for himself or herself, but it's important for him uh, how he treats other people that he is, um, doing something for the public good, etc. Like, uh, are such people exist in the leadership or is it just really naivety to, to assume that? Personally, I know people uh, who really take care about this issue and uh, try to change something. Uh, but the problem is the, the system by itself. So um, certain individuals are not really capable to really achieve uh, this, that kind of changes, what would be necessary to really uh, put uh, on time an agenda like this. So the, the, the problem is that um, basically we need a kind of systematic change and we need political will 
you know, to really implement an agenda which is going to be useful for the people and which is going to lead to the public good. But I don't see this in the, that high level that would be this kind of agreement that, uh, you know, as a certain political parties or um, certain decision makers would uh, really try to uh, implement this, uh, you know, in, in, in a way which could be effective and which could really uh, lead to the uh, real life implementation. There are only think tanks, you know, and uh, background people mostly are working on this and uh, they are not really in the position to really do something. Most of the time, all of these uh, reforms need certain political will. If there is no political will, then won't happen an implementation, unfortunately. But I think this political will can only come from the people because what I, what I see now is that uh, the, the world system is full of politicians that they don't really care about other people and they just focus on what is good for them because, for example, they have four years in, in their position they have a mandate for four or five years and then they they might think that okay so this is now my time uh, next to the the money bucket right so i just need to take as much as i can and that's what they are mainly concerned about at least this is how i see it i've never been in world politics so maybe mm. i'm completely wrong but what i see now is that people care take care about their needs, the needs that exist and the needs that don't exist, and they just don't really care about other people, even if their duty would be to, to take care of uh, not really their subordinates, but the people who elected them. And I don't really see that this is happening. And this is not the main problem. This is, maybe this is weird what I say, yeah, that uh, this is not the main problem, uh, but what I think is the main problem is that we don't seem to give any shit. That we, we, and it's not even true that we don't know this is happening. We don't trust our politicians and we see how corrupt they are. Maybe we don't see everything, but what we see is already enough to say what the fuck is going on. And yet we don't seem to do anything. Why? It's definitely a problem. Uh, the result of the loss of the public trust, as so we discussed earlier. So because there are too many fake news uh, in nowadays, and um, even just, uh, you know, the people are not able to find reliable information sources. Uh, they immediately uh, suppose that, uh, you know, that all of the politicians are a liar. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, all of them are corrupt and they just uh, want to uh, fill up their pockets uh, in the office and that's it. So they don't care about anything. Um, well, it also matters, of course. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a question of the political culture and it's, it's, uh, it's connecting to a lot of, lot of things. But uh, the, the problem is that um, yeah, the, the people are not even really feel the weight, you know, of the of their votes or, and the, the, feel, the, the weight of the democracy. Uh, actually, this is a much bigger problem that uh, has also originated to this issue. And that's why, oops. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, sorry, just uh, some technical issue. Uh, you see, you're already censored. Yeah, yeah, Your opinion yeah, yeah. Is, is not good for the system. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call it the system, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so it's it's a uh, it's a definitely a, a huge problem, and I'm not really sure, you know, that what you can do with this because that the people must have to be interested in the politics and in these issues. If the people are not interested in these issues, then definitely won't be any change at all, or there could be just that kind of change what the politicians want you know and uh, want to implement so it's up to the politicians and actually this is a problem that um, if the politicians are not interested in this problem or in the solution i mean then uh, definitely won't the definitely the political elite won't be interested to implement a solution which is going to be useful for all of the people so it, it's possible uh, uh, actually to do not just a, a bottom-up, you know, um, um, implementation in, in this politics, what you mentioned, but it's a possible uh, actually a top-bottom way as well. And usually that's much easier, you know, if the, those people whom are in positions are implement are able to implement uh, the uh, right policies. And they are interested, you know, in these policies in a way. Just uh, we have to make them interested. I, we need to raise awareness in these issues. And that's why we have to talk about these problems. Mm -hmm. Because I guess on the bottom, bottom, uh, bottom up uh, level or the bottom up channel, what you mentioned, then it really needs a very huge, you know, um, public uh, pressure, basically. And uh, if the, the, there will be a huge mess, which able which is able to pressurize the politicians, then we could expect some kind of change. But uh, if only you know certain groups or certain people are interested in this whole topic, that's not going to cause a change. Do you see a public figure, a leader, or a thinker, etc., that is actually legit? that uh, in legit i mean by that that actually wants uh, the best for the people and wants to actually design or implement a system that that uh, works the best for everybody i know it's not really possible but at least some somebody that that would uh, work towards this uh, such a system Right now, I can't really tell you any figure like this uh, because um, what we discussed earlier, the problem is that it's this kind, this whole transitional uh, issue, what's happening right now, is not really uh, getting highlighted, not even in the media. So the, the politicians actually are focusing to do those kind of topics and issues, which are um, important for the people in a way, but. Uh, it's interesting because it's an imp it's important for the people, but still the people don't care about this issue. <laughs> so, so, oh my God. so, uh, so, so uh, the, uh, basically, if the people are not aware of the importance of this topic, you know, the politicians won't be aware of this either. Or at least, even if they are aware, they won't care about this because you know the people uh, are not really dealing with these issues in the daily life. The biggest problem that as we told the lifespan of this world, world problem that a lot of people don't feel this as a as a problem what is going to be a huge issue within uh, you know a year or few years or something like this but it's you know uh it's in the far future and uh, the politicians are also not really counting by these issues 
because uh, as you mentioned, the politicians also just only uh, usually are focusing to uh, short-term achievements and short-term, they have just only short-term plans because a lot of times they are not really planning uh, farther than the four or five years in the office. And they don't really care, you know, what is going to happen in long term. So this uh, short-term thinking and this short-term mindset is a very huge obstacle to deal with uh, the important issues and the, the, this kind of problems, which really are global problems and uh, only have a serious impact to our life. We have approximately 10, 15 minutes left. So I, I also want to address um, coronavirus a little bit because you mentioned that this is not such a big issue, but people believe it's a big issue because that's what you hear from, from the media everywhere. And for, for me, mainstream media, it mainly equals fake news as well. So that's something like the mainstream media is, is a media source that I don't trust at all. And uh, that's, that's my first question. Like, am I right in this assumption that mainstream media is full of shit? And the second thing is that, um, why don't you think uh, coronavirus is an important issue, even if uh, it's everywhere in the media? It's um, not really important in a way, as most of the people think as it's important. So of course, a, a lot of people died and it's very tragic, it's, it's sure. But uh, actually, what is really um, had serious impact to the everyday life of the people is much more are the lockdowns and you know and the policies which are connected to the virus or are connecting in many countries even nowadays with the restrictions and uh, that um, the problem is what you mentioned regarding the mainstream media. That of course there were a lot of fake news because uh, simply. Uh, nobody really had enough information about the virus and also about the efficiency of the uh, preventive measures, what the politicians imposed to the people. So there were a lot of very controversial uh, studies about the efficiency of the lockdowns and the quarantine and also about the uh, spread of the virus. And uh, you could read something in a week and you could read the opposite in the next week. And uh, both of the studies could be, you know, established by uh, famous scientists or, you know, the experts in the given topic. So, of course, the people, and honestly, this was very, very, um, it was again something which really uh, damaged the trust of the people and the public trust because uh, a lot of the, most of the people, uh, just like you, didn't really trust in, in, in the mainstream media even before, but now after this whole pandemic issue, uh, even more people uh, lost trust in the, in the mainstream media because, you know, how could you trust in a source which says something in a week and the total opposite in next week, you know, then you can take it seriously, you know, when it's changing in this way. And uh, also the, uh, it's the Facebook and, you know, different... Um, uh, media, uh, social media platforms had also a huge responsibility in this about the strange regulations, you know, and the bans of certain words relating to the virus issue. And this also changed almost every month. I just read right today that the Facebook is uh, not banning anymore those theories which says that, you know, the virus has been created in a laboratory. 
So because earlier, even that, uh, if you post something, which you know assumed that the virus is coming from uh, some laboratory and uh, it's uh, it's artificial, then the Facebook put there a tag that you know it's a kind of uh, not trustable information, or let's say it's a fake news, you know. Because and do you think it's the, possible? The, by the, 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 yeah, right. Right now, it it seems that uh, it's absolutely possible. So there is a. Uh, uh, it's very interesting that more and more scientists say that uh, it's more plausible that it's coming from a virus than as it's uh, it has any natural you know, uh, source coming from so a virus do, do you mean laboratory yeah laboratory like it's artificial so that because uh, they say that uh, um, even in last november before the coronavirus outbreak i mean it's what 2009, the November of 2009, so uh, almost, almost two years ago, before the coronavirus, uh, some of the scientists of this uh, Wuhan virus lab uh, hospitalized by the symptoms of the coronavirus. Three or four scientists from the, the laboratory, and right after this happened, the uh, outbreak officially. And uh, nobody really investigated, you know, the circumstances of, the, uh, of this uh, hospitalization and what really happened. And also the Chinese authorities uh, held back a lot of uh, important information uh, regarding the first coronavirus patients in, in Wuhan, uh, even though the WHO tried to ask uh, this specific data, the Chinese authorities uh, denied the access to this information. And now the United States and uh, many other countries are also uh, demanding a uh, new investigation and they want to look after this theory because uh, the WHO made an investigation already and it's 320 something pages long, but only four pages uh, are taking care of this uh, possible laboratory origin theory. So, And what do they say about this theory? These four uh, pages? They didn't really, <laughs> they didn't really uh, investigate this, as I said. So they, in, in, the, in this official, um, uh, the report they just told that they had not enough data you know to uh, confirm the artificial origin of the virus but uh, and, and and they told that um, there is not enough data but about some reason they told that it's it's not so likely that the virus has artificial origin but actually they didn't really focus to this so that's why oh, so they uh, said, said yeah, new no, but it's surely impossible <laughs> yeah exactly exactly they, they <laughs> thought that it, they, they couldn't close out fully this theory so it's it's still uh, you know it's maybe possible but they thought that it's not so likely basically is, that is wasn't this, the report uh, is this um, report that you're talking about by the who who yeah. is is it uh, publicly available I think so. Yes, most likely. I didn't try to look after the the, the war report, but uh, most likely it's available. Yeah. Okay. It's supposed it's will, supposed to be available. Yeah. I will, I will yeah. ask for a link for for a source, or maybe look for it, and then I will include it. Yep. Definitely, because this is something very interesting. So why why is it changing now with with Facebook and other sources? Why is it allowed now to to say that the virus might have come from a laboratory? Exactly about this reason, because um, a lot of scientists question the results of the WHO investigation and this report, 
and they told that uh, um, they didn't even really investigate this this theory. So we, we can't close out fully something what we never investigated. That's that's the issue. Yeah. So what are you saying? <laughs> and and, and, and uh, as I told, uh, even this three hundred something uh, uh, pages report uh, can't co confirm either. You know the natural origin of the virus, so they didn't find the animal. You know which was, uh, you know the the original source of, of the virus or the, which the, the mutation just developed into. And uh, there there is not enough data, so no none of the theories actually have been confirmed by this this report. So if you know if you don't investigate one theory and you can confirm the other one, then still both theories are you know equally possible. That's something that uh, that sounds very reasonable and sounds very wise. Nevertheless, yeah, world politics doesn't really work like that. Yeah, it's like a lot of vested interests in different opinions, and uh, in in of course uh, manipulating the public opinion towards what is beneficial for them. So that's that's how it is. Now this uh, the time is uh, almost over. So just uh, for final words, I, I want to ask from you that as normal people, what is it that, that we can do? Because like even if we could collapse the system, maybe it's not really a good idea because that's the, there are some good elements in this system. For example, like that we are not really stabbed in our backs when we go on the street. Well, at least not in Europe. In the United States, it might be a different case. But my point is that there are some good elements in the system too. But what, what is it uh, that we can do for ourselves and for, for a better life? What, what, what would be your uh, advice? I think um, what I told before, uh, it's very, very important to talk about these problems and to raise awareness. So it's very good that you started this podcast series, actually, and uh, it's Thank already you. something what could, <laughs> what could uh, raise awareness, you know, and that the people uh, should uh, need to get information about uh, these uh, ongoing problems because um, the mainstream media often doesn't really highlight these issues. And uh, if the people are not aware of these problems, then of course they are never ever going to try to find a solution. So it's important to, to discuss and to talk about this, and um, also important to support those organizations and those, the civil society which um, is trying to you know, take care about these issues and also uh, the, the, a lot of civic organizations is uh, trying to make awareness and to start educational programs and you know even the schools uh, try to um, to uh, foster uh, educational reforms and can you mention two important. or three such organizations that uh, you trust and you think uh, make an important work in the world well, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of useful uh, organizations, of course. So it really depends on that uh, what we're talking about and which field are, are we focusing on. Um, Let's say uh, media. The media, that is the most difficult. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the media, there are alternative channels. And, you know, this like, all, I think, uh, for an example, some of the organizations, you know, which are uh, 
helping uh, you know developing countries to reach some change in uh, i don't really want to name you know concrete organization but uh, like uh, uh organizations but uh, those kind of organizations which are you know working in developing countries and trying to uh, do some change in a local level all of them are important basically so you know the, those which are sending you know teachers or doctors or what were to you know those kind of places where the uh, states are not able to provide right education and uh, right health care all of them are important and all okay. similar related activities so all of the activities all the organizations which are able to do some change like there there are a lot of organizations who uh, want to to foster change locally, and they are quite important. I just uh, told that uh, basically all kind of organizations which are doing uh, some kind of work in a regional or local level uh, in the field of education, has care, you know, and uh, those kind of tangible things which are uh, causing uh, benefit for the local population are important. Hmm. Especially in those countries where the state doesn't have any, you know, source to provide these services in a way. Mm -hmm. Okay. But of course, this is uh, yeah, much more in the developing countries, but in the, the uh, developed countries are also, you know, the, the, the alternative civil society organizations, for example, which are fostering their non-formal education are important, I believe. Uh, what, what education? Non-formal education. Ah. I mean, uh, all kind of uh, education uh, things, you know, which are not within the formal education. So that kind of, uh, which are providing those kind of skills that you can actually, you know, learn in the formal education system. And that's, uh, that, that's so important. And uh, well, exactly like the critical, you know, for example, like the critical thinking. So all kind of organizations which are focusing to develop the critical thinking of the people are very, very important. But that's uh, that's not something that is very lucrative for the ruling class, right? So that's I don't think that I, the ruling class wants to have something like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that it's for the ruling uh, the ruling class. Exactly, uh, that's why these uh, things are not really in the formal education system. So that there were uh, actually a lot of initiative to incorporate the critical thinking and this kind of soft skills, what are very important nowadays into the formal education system. But uh, at some level, you know, all of these initiatives just uh, uh, didn't get any, any support and not really uh, happened any systematic change. So or at least very, very minimal. So that, that, that were, I can't really tell you any uh, example or any huge success in, in this field. So this uh, um, remained much more in this uh, non-formal education field than this uh, work uh, makes by the civil society organizations mostly. Hmm. Well, okay. So thank you very much. This uh, fi these final words are a bit uh, pessimistic, I think, because um, it seems that there needs to be a lot of change in this world if we want to live in a world that is lucrative for everybody or at least most of the people. Nevertheless, this change seems a bit unlikely at the moment. But we are doing our best and at least uh, we are talking about what is going on. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Mishi, for, for coming to, to Gabor Speaks podcast and uh, that we could actually talk about the issues. 
and uh, <laughs> and Michi dropped at the end. I hope that he was not assassinated or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, nevertheless, uh, still thank you very much for um, for joining Michi, and uh, thank you very much for for listening and uh, occasionally watching the podcast because uh, because this is really important that it's not us that we are that not only us that we are talking about by us i mean the guests and me but also everybody to actually start a discussion that we are not like ostriches that just bury their heads in the ground pretending the problems don't exist but first that we notice the problems and then we talk about the problems and these are the first steps for change and this is something that I hope to facilitate with my small equipment and uh, with my really uh, little influence at, at the moment. But I hope if I can foster change in myself and environment in my environment, then it will eventually come. So thank you very much again for listening and come back for the next episodes of Gabor Speaks podcast and all in all, come speak with Gabor at gaborspeaks.com.